Yeah, I was thinking of that. That one song we just sang, uh, not, not that one, but uh, a little while back, you know, the sweet expressions on each face. Um, that's what I see here this morning. And I know, I know it's the presence of the Lord. So, good to see all of you here. Well, I want to just start out by saying that uh, religion does not equal faith. Religion does not equal faith. We talked about faith last week. Uh, let, me, let me read a, a quote. One can love religion like anything else in life. Sports, science, stamp collecting. One can love it for its own sake without relation to God or the world or life, wrote Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann in his journals. Religion fascinates. It's entertaining. It has everything that's sought for after by a, sought after by a certain type of person. Aesthetics, mystery, the, the sacred, the uh, feeling of one's importance and exclusive depth, etc. But that kind of religion is not necessarily faith. So last weekend we looked at faith. We looked at the kind of faith that is uh, genuine. You know, John gave us uh, three indicators of, of true faith. Do you remember what they are? Belief, love, and obedience. You know, having faith in, in Jesus Christ, uh, believing in him, truly believing in him, truly trusting in him, that's required. That's what matters. And it's... It is our response to his invitation. You know, the, uh, the Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas uh, were in his jail, he, he asked them, what, what must I do to be saved? And very simply, just a, in a few words, just a short statement, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. But, you know, faith in and of itself doesn't, save. People all over the world believe in something. People all over the world have faith that is sincere. But the question is, in whom is the faith? That's the key piece of information. The, 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 the religions of the world are, in fact, they're called faiths. But the exclusivity of truth says that they cannot all be true at the same time. And so it matters what we believe or who we believe in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is essential. This is essential. There's no Christianity without Christ. There's no knowing God without Christ. And our eternal life comes through Christ alone. It's all, it's all about Jesus. And last week we concluded with uh, 1 John 5, verse 5, which says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that was a good place to leave off. It, it is going to provide us a path right in today's, into today's text. But... Uh, you know, our, our saving faith, our demonstrated faith, our victorious faith is in Jesus, the, the Son of God. 
we talked about last time. But how are we convinced that Jesus is who he said he was? Uh, if, if he isn't, then our religion is in vain. It's, it's worthless. We're, we're just merely going through the motions and doing the best we can do. If Jesus isn't the Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, then uh, we, are, um, we are among the most deluded people in the world. You know, we're, we're fooling ourselves. We're, we're living in a fantasy world. But if we were to put Jesus before a jury and witnesses were called in, what, what would be the verdict? And, you know, was he just a man or, or was he truly God? Was he the son of God? Well, today's text is 1 John 5, 6 through 12, and this is what John is doing. This is what John is doing. And I'd like for us to take note of how John is appealing to the uh, testimony of three witnesses. And as we, as we read through this, I want you to notice how many times this word testimony comes up. If I'm not mistaken, I think about seven times. This is, this is courtroom language. So 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater and the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that Jesus, or excuse me, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I don't know if anybody counted there, but uh, did you hear how many times that word came up? Testimony, testify, witness. And, uh, you know, when we look at this passage, you, you might just kind of tilt your head and say, what, what, is, what does this mean, the, the water and the blood? Jesus came by water and blood. And it, it probably seems a little obscure. One commentary says, 1 John 5, 6 is perhaps the most perplexing verse in all of the Johannine letters. I think this is going to make sense once, once we look into it. Notice, again, the courtroom language. This, this has to do with examining Jesus Christ. In a sense, John is saying, okay, let's do it. Let's put Jesus on trial. Let's examine him and see if his claims are true. Let's call in the witnesses and see how this turns out. And so John lists these three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit. Well, let's, let's take these one at a time. First is the water. And John says Jesus Christ came by water and the blood. And the, uh, you know, one, one of the things we need to look at is this word came. Jesus came. This word erkomai refers to a, a, a movement from one place to another. It, it's not saying that Jesus just poof all of a sudden appeared. Now remember, John is... 
John is uh, refuting heresy in this letter. Mainly the, the Gnostic heresy. Jesus Christ came. And John's refuting this heretical notion that Jesus became the Christ at baptism. Or that the, the heavenly Christ descended on him. Which is what some were saying. What, he, what he's doing is he's making clear the eternality of Christ. And we've seen that in this this letter, and we've seen it in John's gospel as well. Remember uh, what John said, he who was in the beginning. He who was in the beginning, the word, the one who was with God, the word who was God. And, and according to John's account, Jesus, and all things were made through him, and without him not a thing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So let's see if we can make sense of this. What does it mean that the water testifies to uh, Jesus? And uh, looking, at, looking in the commentaries, there's, there's three views on this. Let me just give you the first two, and I'll give you the, uh, the third, which I think is the best. The first one is that some people say that the water and the blood reflect refer to the ordinances or, or sacraments of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some say it refers to the water and the blood that, that flowed from Jesus' side when the spear pierced him when he was on the cross. In fact, my uh, NASB study Bible has a reference to that, to that verse. You know, that, that scene at the crucifixion, John 19, 33, or 34 through 35. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. So we have this, this witness of a man. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. You know, we have this witness that Jesus was actually dead. That was another thing that people were saying. Well, Jesus didn't really die. He just swooned. Now, this has to do with this testimony then of, of, of a person. And I could see why people would like this explanation, maybe. But our passage here says that Jesus came by the water and the blood. And it, he's talking about Jesus' is coming. Jesus' is coming to the earth, his incarnation. Jesus Christ's invasion of the world, so to speak. So these, these first two don't really stack up very well. They don't have anything to do with what John's talking about here. John's talking about Jesus' coming. I think the ver third view is best. Jesus is coming by water is referring to Jesus' own baptism by John the Baptist. This was the event that inaugurated Jesus' ministry on earth. And, and by the way, his blood, I believe, shed on the cross, culminated his, mystery, his, his ministry. That's the water and the blood. Let's talk about this. These, these provide a, a, a summing up of the totality of, of Jesus' ministry on, on earth. Jesus' baptism and... His crucifixion, they, they 
really form a frame, a frame of Jesus' ministry. He was declared the Son of God in the Jordan when John the Baptist baptized him. That's John one thirty four, And he obtained even more power and authority through his glorification at, on Golgotha. Remember, John is opposing this Gnostic heresy which divide, or denied the, uh, the divinity of Christ. There was this guy, Serenthus, who he said, Jesus was born a man. Joseph was his father. None of this nonsense about Jesus being born of a, a virgin. No, he said that Jesus was born of a man. Jesus was nothing more than just a mere man. He was a good man, though. And God, he was so good that God decided that he would uh, make him the Christ, essentially. That at his baptism, he, he became the Christ. And before he died, his, his Christhood was, was taken away from him because this guy, Serenthus, said that God can't die. He had to have been just a man who died on the cross. So John is refuting this, this heresy. Now, John says the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Let's, let's look at Mark 1, 9 through 11, just at this scene of the baptism. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he came up out of the water, and immediately he saw the, the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you with you, I am well pleased. Now, I, I think we've all seen paintings that, that depict this scene, right? Just this, this peaceful scene, this, this placid river, and you know, there's this dove coming down and, and angels floating around. But you know, if you read this, it says that the heavens were torn open. This is, this is more like a cataclysmic probably a fairly terrifying event for people because God is displaying his power. He's showing his glory as it descends on Jesus. And he spoke from heaven. Yeah, this, this was not a quiet, private occasion. This was the inauguration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his ministry on earth, coming to seek and save those who, who are lost. Yeah, the Father's speaking, publicly proclaiming and confirming the sonship of Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, yes, but also fully God. You know, this, this is why the virgin birth is so important. And in this key event, which inaugurated Jesus' ministry, he did, you know, think about it. Jesus did just put an ad in the paper, okay, you know, new ministry, and post it in the, the post office, uh, you know, come and, and hear Jesus. Putting flyers on people's doors. No. He came, he came by the power and the authority of, of the Father, and at his baptism, the Father spoke, the Spirit descended, the triune God right there. 
In John 3.34, John says, He whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives a spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So John's building a case for, for the Christ. You know, he wasn't a mythical figure. He wasn't a mere, a mere man who was starting up a new religion. He was, he was co-eternal. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He's the one who was sent, sent on a mission from the Father, born of a virgin, And his ministry commenced at this baptism. Well, the next witness John calls is the blood. So Jesus, at the baptism, was commissioned to the task given by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, John says, Jesus Christ came by water and the blood. He, He was the Christ in his coming He was the Christ in his dying. He was the Christ in his ascension, and he'll be the Christ when he returns. Yeah. Well, the blood is a reference to the crucifixion. John says, not not by water only, but, but by the blood. Jesus is the Christ, fully eternal. And you know, if Jesus was not the Christ in, in his death, then his death doesn't provide for our salvation. John, first John four, nine through ten, we, we covered this earlier. It says in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The atonement on the cross, the substitutionary atonement where he took our sins on his shoulders. He bore our sins. He he paid the penalty. So, Remember then, when Jesus was was baptized, the heavens were were torn open. What happened at the crucifixion? Was that a calm, peaceful event? You know, just just three criminals being crucified over there. What happened? Matthew 27, 45 through 54, listen to this now. From the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him a drink. But others said, wait, let's... Let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Listen to this. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into top from bottom, and the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the Holy Spirit and appeared to many. When the centurion... 
And those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe, I guess. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's quite a shake-up from God, just as the baptism was, but also an attention-getter. God the Son, God the Son, bore our our sins, the one who died fully God, fully man, perfect, without sin by water, publicly announced by the Father as a son, the Christ, who he was, what he is about to do in his crucifixion, still the Christ. That's a quote from Alistair Begg. So, you know, Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just a, a setback. It wasn't a sign that God's plan had, had failed. You know, it was, it was the culmination of, of his plan for redemption. His plan for redemption that was, God started talking about it way back in Genesis early on, early on. The whole Bible is, a, is the story of God's redemption, his salvation of sinful man and woman. You know, this is so important that the Apostle Paul points out its supreme importance in his proclamation. He he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus' death on the cross is so central to the gospel. The Messiah, the Christ, the the anointed one, the the one that uh, God's people had been awaiting, the promised one. You know, this, this event of the crucifixion, which happened in history, it was it was well witnessed. Francis Schaeffer liked to talk about uh, these things happening in space and time. They really happen. This this isn't mythology. This isn't something that Jesus' disciples just made up. And when when Jesus breathed his final breath, that that temple veil, that must have been pretty amazing. You know, the the curtain, the barrier to, to the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could go in once a year, torn miraculously from the top to bottom. You know, this this just is a picture demonstrating the accomplished work of Christ on the cross where we have bold access. We have confidence to go before God at any time now through Jesus Christ. That's amazing. The water and the blood testified. You see how that works? Now John brings in the third witness, the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these things agree. These three agree. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit is truth. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit came in power on Pentecost. Remember that story. That was an attention getter too. How many people were saved? 3,000. 
as the Holy Spirit descended, the, the church inaugurated that day. This Holy Spirit that Jesus had, had promised, remember he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be empowered. You'll be my witnesses. Yeah, John fifteen twenty six. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 16.13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, won't even speak of himself. He will speak of me, not me, but Jesus He'll guide us into all truth. He'll tell us the truth. He's the spirit of truth. Jesus is the truth. The Father is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. We're, we're told all three of those things. And God is testifying to the truth that Jesus is the Christ by sending the Holy Spirit. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So, you know, Jesus' ministry continued. You know, the water and blood, I said, were kind of bookends, but, you know, where, where's Tom? The, the rest of the story, you know, Jesus, Jesus said what? He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'll send you another comforter, another helper. That, that word, by the way, <laughs> In, in the original language is, is used of Jesus elsewhere in, in the scripture. You know, Jesus is our comforter. He's our helper. He's our advocate. The spirit is another one. He said, I will be with you always. And that's through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry continues. This is God's testimony to us. God's witness continues today through the Holy Spirit. So what does this lead to? We have a decision to make. What's the verdict? John's putting us on the spot now. What do we do with this? You know, back in the late, or probably mid-1970s, a guy named Josh McDowell wrote a two-part book. What was it called? Anybody remember? Evidence that demands a verdict. That's a great title. And just as in that book, John says here, okay, what are, you, what are we going to do with this? This demands a verdict. This demands a decision. Are you going to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Are you going to believe that he says that, that what he said about himself is true? You know, biblically, in, in Old Testament law, Multiple witnesses need to, to testify. For instance, in Deuteronomy 17.6, it says, on the evidence of two witnesses of, or of three witnesses, this is talking about a murder trial here, the one who is, die, is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. That's probably a pretty good principle. Why? Because, uh, you know, one person might see or hear something and, and not perceive it correctly, or they might miss report it, uh, you know, one person might lie. Uh, having multiple witnesses, a little better, 
It's a safeguard against uh, inadvertent and intentional false witness. Even so, though, when when sinful people are involved, uh, really the veracity of the testimony is is always suspect. It's always vulnerable to to being wrong. You know, we're we're fallible. We don't always me- we don't always remember things correctly. I, I read a report about this. Uh, some some doctors did this study uh, recently about how good our memory is. And it's not just talking about old people like us. You know, it's just you know normal people with with good mental faculties um, only remember like three percent of a, of a conversation accurately after a couple of weeks. So, all this to say that. John here is pointing out that if the, if we receive the testimony of, of men, this is verse 9, the testimony of God is greater. God's memory is a lot better than ours. He says, for this is the testimony of God concerning his son. So we have these, these three witnesses which corroborate the testimony of God, the truth about Jesus Christ. For this is the testimony of God he says concerning his son, the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So, again, the question, here's the big question. What are we going to do with this? Do you remember when Jesus went before uh, the Roman governor, Pilate? Pilate asked a, a really good question, kind of a, the, the question of the ages. He says, he says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Good question. Well, John in verse 10, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So, are we going to believe the testimony of God? That's the question. Are we going to believe God? Without Jesus Christ, we do not have life. Pure and simple. So let me just conclude by saying again, Jesus came to give us eternal life. And as God himself is his witness, he is who he he claimed he is, was, is, the son of God, the Christ. You know, he, he came to seek and save that which is lost. He came so that whoever believes in him might not perish, but, but have eternal life. And uh, if, if there's anybody in this room who's not put their trust in Jesus, uh, the question is now before you. Uh, the, the decision is yours. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we, we thank you for your love, which is amazing. You, you poured it out so abundantly on us. 
thank you, Lord, for, for the cross on, on which Jesus died to, to bear our sins, to accomplish our salvation. And this morning, as, as we, we prepare to, to celebrate this, uh, Lord, let us, let us examine our hearts. Shine, shine your light, Lord, in the innermost parts, the, the darkest corners of our hearts, Lord, and expose our, our sinful thoughts and, and desires, our, our wrong attitudes, our, our wrong thinking, Lord. Just expose that. Put your finger on it, Lord, and let us know if there be anything in us that is grievous to you. Lord, rid us of, of our pride, our, our rebellion. Rule in our hearts, God. Rule in our hearts. And we just pray this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus, the Christ. Amen.